Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Luke chapter 24 this morning. The Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Before we get too much further in, I just want to make this announcement to those that are joining us live stream, but more importantly to those that are here in attendance this morning. That at the end, normally we just sign off and you all take off as well. I would like to ask those of you that are here this morning in the building that once we sign off with live stream this morning, that you all just sort of hang here with me for just a few seconds. I have something that I want to share with you, just with you all that are here this morning, okay? So if you do that instead of sort of running out the door like you normally do, that would be, that would be good. I know you're hungry and everything. Hey, also, before we get into our message this morning from Luke 24, obviously, this is the last message from the Gospel of Luke. 24 messages. We took a chapter a week every Sunday, and we're finally at the end. But I want to give sort of this commercial. For the next two weeks after this, I want to be sharing with you two of my favorite passages of Scripture from the Old Testament in the next two Sundays after this. Then, beginning the first Sunday of August, we are going to be doing another eight-week series on worship. Um, And it's also going to be out of the Old Testament this time. Uh, After last year's worship series, Nicole and I looked at each other and said, that's not the last time we're doing that. Uh, Each year... We're going to do a series on worship every year here at the Oasis. We we want to just continue to cultivate and create that that kind of worship that that sort of we're, we're beginning to see at our church. And so that will start in August and run through September, and we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to tell you then what we're going to do the rest of the year. we got enough to think about. Also, Wednesday, James, we're going through the book of James on Wednesday. We'd love for you to join us on Wednesday night uh, at 7 o'clock. So Luke 24 is all about the most incredible event, hands down, in human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any greater, any bigger, any better than that when the resurrection and the life rose from the dead and and, and conquered death. Because how much also does that impact our lives? Well, Jesus said, because I live, you'll live also. You believe in me, you'll also experience the resurrection and the life. And so what, what more could we say about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? We, we just need to, even as Christians, just continually absorb that truth and that reality in our lives and live out of that reality and truth every day. Amen? But today, because this series was also about learning what it means to be a servant of God, God sort of wanted to shine a little bit of a different angle on this chapter than just looking at the resurrection of Jesus or looking at it sort of in another way. And and I also, because this term is used a lot today, you you hear it, uh, I I also want to sort of reverse engineer this chapter. 
And what I mean by that is we're going to actually start at the end and work our way backwards this morning a little bit. I'm primarily concentrating on verses 13 through 35, but I want to start in verse 44, okay? And then down through the rest of the chapter to the end. Because there's two things here at the end of this chapter that really, again, Jesus is using to sort of uh, get us focused on what is it as his servants we are to primarily be about. And the first one is God calls us to be his witnesses. In fact, notice in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. The reason God allowed them to experience the resurrection and and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus is so that they could go out and be witnesses. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So notice in verse 44, after he had appeared to them and he came and said, look, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm, I'm real. I've risen from the dead. And, and they almost can't believe it. It's like it's too good to be true that Jesus says these words. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus opens our understanding to comprehend the Bible. And Jesus even sent his Holy Spirit into our lives so that we could understand and comprehend the Bible. It's the only way you and I understand spiritual truth is through the enablement of God himself. That's always the way it's been. Then he says to them, verse 46, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer would rise from the dead on the third day, which is what he told them over and over again before his crucifixion, that he did not believe it. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. These are the things you are witnesses of. And look, I'm also sending you what my father promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed or literally enrobed with power from God on high. And we know that is in reference to the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Witnesses. That's what we are as servants. We are witnesses. But we must experience the things that God wants us to experience in order for us to be a witness. And everything that God designs to take us through, even in our lives, all those experiences, none of them are purposeless. All of them have a purpose behind them, good and bad, so that we can be a witness to the reality of God, you see. To be a witness is simply to to give further evidence or to furnish evidence or proof of who God really is. That's what a biblical witness is. That's what being a witness for Christ is. It is being able in my life every day to furnish evidence and proof to the reality of God. Now, we're going to go back in just a minute because here was the problem. Even though while Jesus was with his followers, over and over and over again, Multiple times he told them, I've got to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified for sin. I didn't come the first time to set up my earthly kingdom. I came to set up a spiritual kingdom. One day I will come and set up my earthly kingdom. But the first time I'm coming to set up my spiritual kingdom. But after three days, I will rise from the dead. 
None of his followers really bought into that. None of them believed that. And so that's part of what Jesus is doing here in this last chapter is not just by showing them that he's alive, but wanting to take them back to the scriptures and say, you've got to be a witness for me, not only when you see things, but when you don't see things. I need you to be able to be a witness even when you don't see it, because that's the reality, is sometimes God lets us see, sometimes we have to walk by faith and not sight and not see anything. In a sense, we have to trust God and believe God in the dark, if you will, not having any evidence, any proof, but, but relying and totally trusting in his word. And his followers weren't there yet. And that's why they needed to continue to grow in their witness because they really hadn't captured yet the reality of God. Because the reality was the grave was not going to hold Jesus. And yet they hadn't come to that place yet, you see. And so they had to grow. And so here's for us today, you and I, for our whole life, and until we go to be with Jesus, we have to continue to increase and grow in our witness because our witness has to continually take more and more in of the reality of God, not who we think God is, not who others think God is, but who he really is. And they hadn't gotten there because in their minds, they were all going to a grave to anoint his body with spices because they really didn't believe. And then even after some of the gals came back and said, hey, we were met by angels and they told us, why are we seeking the dead among the living? He's not here, he's risen. Even his own disciples like, nah, that, that can't be true. So God had to say, no, no, this is what really happened and this is who I am as God really am, okay? So witnessing but witnessing to who he really is. And that's why it has to grow throughout our life, because we need to be a witness that witnesses the reality of God more and more accurately. See, at that point, if they would have been asked to be a witness for God, their witness, if you will, would have been either incomplete or inaccurate, because they weren't looking for Jesus to be alive after three days, see? So how do we put that into our lives? Well, God wants us to furnish evidence and proof of who he really is every day we're alive, whether it's through what we say, what we don't say, how we live, how we carry ourselves, what our priorities are, and all that. If we don't continue to grow, in understanding who God really is, then our witness is in some way is going to stagnate or plateau or become incomplete or even maybe paint an inaccurate picture to others of who God really is. So you and I have to commit to being a growing witness for the rest of our lives. And we're going to talk about how do we do that in just a moment. But that's not all. God also asks us as his servants to not only be growing witnesses, but growing worshipers. Notice verse 50. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And now during the blessing, he departed and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, the house of God, in those courts, blessing God. That means praising him and celebrating him. In fact, all through this chapter, you see words that portray a lifestyle of worship, not just the words worshiped in verse 52 and great joy and blessing God. If you go up to verse 41, they were amazed of what he said. It means to be in wonder and awe and literally a wonder and awe that leads to admiration. That's not the only time a word of worship is used. If you go back to verse 12 of, of Luke 24, G, uh, Peter, when he went into the tomb and saw only the strips of cloth, it says he went home wondering what had happened. It's a word that speaks again about amazement and astonishment that again leads to admiration and worship. Over and over again, you see words of worship. And you and I, just like we need to be committed to being growing witnesses throughout our life so that we can furnish evidence and proof of who God really is, we also need to be growing worshipers so that our worship of God and who he really is is appropriate. You see, if you and I don't grow in understanding and getting to know God and, and walking with him and fellowshipping with him, our worship won't reflect properly or appropriately who he really is. That's why we all need to not only grow in our witness, but grow in our worship so that when we come to worship God, we're worshiping him appropriately and we're ever growing in, in our appropriate worship if you will, pouring out more and more of our lives and our devotion and our hearts and our minds and giving him everything as we praise him, as we celebrate him, as we exalt him, as we elevate him. And not just when we come together, but even individually in our lives, that, that God wants us to reflect worshiping him in every facet of our lives. It's a lifestyle, you see. Worship. Well, if we're going to witness God accurately, and we're going to worship God appropriately. How do we do that? How do we grow in our witness and our worship? And the very simple thing, and we see it even here in this passage today, is we walk with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. Our witness and our worship is based on our walk. And that's what you see happening here, beginning in verse 13 of this chapter. Because after the ladies went to the tomb, and they didn't go there expecting to see a risen Jesus, even though they should have, they went there to anoint a dead body. So then the angels appear, and they go, oh my goodness, he's alive. And they go back to the disciples. And the disciples, the Bible says in verse 11, did not believe them. Now, I'll give Peter one thing. Sometimes Peter gets a lot of bad raps, right, for some of the things that he does or says. But I got to give Peter something here. He did not dismiss the witness of the women like the other uh, 10 disciples did. Notice in verse 12, he got up, ran to the tomb, bent down, and saw only the strips of cloth. And by the way, the words bent down are very important key words. It means to get a closer look. It is a willingness on one's part to exert 
or be inconvenienced in order to obtain a better perspective. We all need to, in a sense, take a closer look or a better look at God and what God is doing. That's how we become more accurate growing witnesses and how we become more appropriate growing worshipers. But again, most of them, they didn't believe that Jesus had really risen from the dead, even though he had told them over and over and promised them, I'm going to rise from the dead. You're going to see me die, but you're also going to see me live. So notice verse 13. That very day, two of Jesus' followers, not two of the immediate disciples, but two that were close, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and debating these things, I love this, Jesus himself drew near to them. He approached them and began to accompany them, literally to travel and walk with them along the road to Emmaus. Wouldn't that have been great? And isn't it great to realize that we could look back at that and go, oh, that was so cool that Jesus literally came up to those two guys on the road and was walking with them. Let me remind all of us, including myself, you and I have the privilege to be able to walk with Jesus every day. As those of us who've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, you and I have the opportunity to walk with Jesus every day. And we need to take that opportunity. We need to seize that opportunity. We need to spend time with Jesus walking with him every day. Otherwise, our witness and our worship will stagnate. It will only grow to a certain point, and then it will level off. We've got to continue to walk with Jesus because it is our walk with Jesus every day that fuels and drives our witness and our worship. And if we don't walk with Jesus every day, you see, our witness will either be incomplete or at times even inaccurate, and our worship will not be as fervent and, and, and as devoted as it should be. So they said to him, oh, excuse me, verse 16, very important. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Who kept their eyes from recognizing him? God. That's important. God, because these men had seen Jesus, and yet God supernaturally kept them from recognizing Jesus at this point. Why? Why wasn't it just this, oh my goodness, Jesus, you rose from the dead in this great reunion? Because Jesus needs to teach his followers very important things. Otherwise, our witness and our worship will not be proper. He needed to teach them to believe when they can't see. That's what he needs to teach us. Why? Because Jesus isn't here with us physically. He's here with us, but he's invisible to us, to our physical eye. But he is present. So Jesus needs to teach us as he needs. Why? Because in a few days, he was going to ascend and go back to heaven to his father. And he was no longer physically going to be with them. And he needed them to get this. 
that in order to be a servant of his, in order to be a witness for him, in order to be a worshiper of him, we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, that's why God kept them from recognizing him because he had to teach them something first that was going to be absolutely necessary and vital to their ongoing witness and worship of him in this world. And God needs to do the same thing with us today. Why? Because Jesus isn't physically here with us. He's with us in spirit, but he's not physically here. And God asks all of us to trust him when we can't see him to believe in what he said as much as we would believe in him if he was standing right in front of us. And that was the problem of the early followers, is no matter how much Jesus taught them that he would rise from the dead, they did not believe it until they actually saw him. And Jesus said, I can't have that kind of faith. I need to have the kind of faith that people believe in what I say to them, regardless of whether they see it or not. So that's what's taking place here. And that's why it's taking place. So that these two men, along with all of his other followers, could learn to be witnesses and worshipers of him. So he says to them, I love this, verse 17, what are these matters you are discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. They were discouraged, folks. They were dejected. They were disillusioned. The one that they had been following, I don't know how long these two men had been following Jesus, but they had been following probably for some time. They had put all their hopes and dreams into him. And now they were in Jerusalem. They saw him hang on that cross. They saw him die. They saw maybe his body being taken down and taken to the burial place. It couldn't get any worse for them. What are we going to do? You know, sometimes when circumstances and situations come into our life, we can be the very same way. That instead of believing truly in what God has already said and the things that he's promised us, we're looking around at what we can see and what we can hear. And we begin to get depressed and discouraged and dejected and disillusioned. And we can begin to feel like God isn't in control and, and God's no longer on the throne and God's not working and God's not moving and all of that. And that's why I think every once in a while, just to bolster our faith and assure us of our faith, God does something like answer prayer that... Tony was talking about earlier. And we know in our church that's not the only prayers that God answers. He's answered our prayers all the time. And he continues to do miracles and to show that he is real and that his word can be trusted. So then one of them, verse 18, named Cleopas, answered him. I love this. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? Using a modern language, the crucifixion of Jesus had went viral. That's basically what Cleopas is saying. Everybody knows what happened in Jerusalem. What? You're the only one that doesn't know? Now, here's the thing. Yeah, you know what the truth is? The truth is Jesus is really the only one that knows what really happened. You, you tracking with me? <laughs> because his followers really hadn't gotten there yet. 
They're questioning him as, you really don't know what's happened. And Jesus is like, oh, no, you really don't know what's going on because you still think I'm dead, and I'm here talking with you. See? Sometimes we're there, too. It's like we think, God, you really don't know what's going on, do you? If you really knew my situation and what's going on, you'd be doing things differently or handling things. And sometimes God's got to come along in his gentle way as he's doing here and walk with us a little bit if we're willing to walk with him and impart some kind of insight and, and discernment and go, no, you're the one that doesn't know what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. You're just not trusting me in this moment. So he said to them, and I love how Jesus sort of plays along here. In verse 19, what things? The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. A man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet before God and to all the people and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. And don't miss verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Let me stop there. You know, one of the reasons why they were dejected and discouraged and disillusioned and why we get dejected and discouraged and disillusioned, because we have wrong or misplaced expectations of God. Did you see what they said here? They admitted it. What were they counting on? They weren't primarily counting on Jesus coming the first time and building his spiritual kingdom. Again, that just, the light bulb hadn't went on there. All that time that he had taught them, it didn't register. No, what they were continuing to look for was for him to rescue them from Roman oppression. That's exactly what they're saying to Jesus in verse 21. Jesus didn't rescue Israel from Roman oppression. He did not free his people. We are still under Roman oppression authority. Well, but God never told you that's what he was going to do the first time. And many times in our lives, why do we get into a bad place spiritually or with God? We get there because our expectations of what we're counting on God to do or what we're looking on God to do, God never said he would do. But God's given us plenty of stuff that he has told us he will do that is more than enough to carry us through any situation you and I will ever find ourselves in. If again, we begin to witness him and worship him as who he really is and not who we want him to be. And then they go on in verse 22 and 23 and 24 basically to say, oh, and by the way, we were part of that group that when the women came back from the tomb, we heard the story. They were telling people, oh, angels appeared to us and Jesus is now alive. And then some of them of our group went to the tomb and looked at it themselves and they're at a loss as to explain where his body went and they're still sort of trying to figure all this out. We heard that too. So notice what Jesus' response is in verse 25, beginning there. And I don't want you to miss, if you can sort of get it through the English language, Jesus' emotional reaction to them at this point. He has a very emotional reaction to his own followers. And here's what he says to them. So he said to them, you foolish people. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now let's go back and just dissect this for a minute. When Jesus says that they are foolish, 
That's not an insult. It is a word that speaks about one who is not allowing God's revelation to shape our thinking or our behavior. That's what it means to be foolish before God. That God has revealed himself, either in human form, Jesus, or through his word, or even today through his indwelling Holy Spirit. If you and I do not allow the revelation that God has given us and is giving us to shape our thinking or our behavior, we're foolish. Because that's why God gives us his revelation. That's why God unlocks himself to us and unveils himself to us. The last book of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He literally opens himself up and says, this is who I really am. And if we do not allow the revelation that he has given us shape our thinking or our behavior, then we are fools. Even as his followers, we are fools. Why? Because we're discouraged and dejected and disillusioned for no good reason. The reason we are in that place is not because God didn't reveal things to us that could have prevented it, it's because we chose not to trust in it or believe it or allow it to shape our thinking or our behavior. See, so often as human beings, even as God followers, we're always looking, God, you should have done more. You should have given me more. And God is saying to us, I gave you everything you need. You're just not paying attention to it. You're just not allowing it to shape your thinking or behavior. That's why you're in the place you are. And you don't need to be there. That's why God is saying you're foolish. Because you're suffering needlessly. You're all full of anxiety and worry and angst and discouragement, and you wouldn't need to be if you simply open yourself up to what I have revealed to you. And then he says, how slow of heart to respond in belief to all the prophets have spoken. Boy, I can identify with that. Meaning that there have been so many times in my life where it took me so long to get there. It's like, instead of just opening myself up and just believing? No, God had to work with me and work with me and work with me and maybe repeat it over and over again. And then finally, ding, 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 one day the light bulb came on. Slow of heart. God wants us to quickly and urgently respond in belief instead of having to take so long to finally land there. Now, God will work with us, and he's obviously more patient with us than we are with others and with ourselves, but God is looking for those that simply when he reveals himself and when he speaks into our lives, we say yes and amen, rather than that sludgy heart that takes so long to get there. And then another key word is the word all. He says you were slow of heart to believe all the prophets said. Because that's bad, too. Because sometimes we, we believe, but we believe in part. We believe some of what Jesus has said or what God has said or revealed to us, but we don't believe it all. And we need to believe it all. We need to trust in it all. Not just the parts we like, but the parts as a whole. Because then Jesus goes on and says, Verse 26, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
Doesn't the cross come before the crown? Isn't suffering necessary before glory? Isn't this what I always taught you, but you didn't respond in believing it? Then I love this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. That's a Bible study I wish I was at. Jesus literally took the Old Testament and showed that he is on every page of the Bible. Think about that. That's what verse 27 says. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them, written about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus, if we look for him diligently enough, he is on every page of the Bible, Old and New Testament. So they approached the village, verse 28, where they were going, and he acted as though he wanted to go further. Isn't that cool? It's almost like Jesus keeps on walking. Why does he do that? Doesn't he want to spend more time with them? Yeah, but he wants it to be their idea. Jesus wants our fellowship with him to be our idea. His idea is he would always be in fellowship with us. He would always be spending that. That's what his heart is. His heart is, I will walk with you every second of the day, and I will always be in fellowship with you. That's my heart, but I want it to be, I don't want to force myself on you. I want it to be your idea. I want you to want me as much as I want you. So they urged him, don't go. Stay with us, remain with us, abide with us, because it's getting toward evening and the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. I love that. Oh, that his followers today, that we would be like, Jesus, we don't want to go. We just want to stay in your presence. We just want to commune with you, and we want to spend time with you, and we want to be with you, God. But no, we fill our lives with so many other things instead of spending time with Jesus. Verse 30, when he had taken his place at the table, and I underlined those three words, at the table, because what was Jesus doing here? He was sharing a meal. This isn't, he's not doing the Lord's table here, as some people think, just because he broke bread and blessed it. No, this is just a common meal. It was what Jews did. And Jesus is the one who's breaking the bread and blessing it before the meal. He's simply sitting down at a table and, and sharing a meal with these two men. And notice what happens when he does so. When he takes the bread and breaks it and gives it to them, at this point, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Because it's through fellowship with Jesus we receive spiritual insight. It's through walking with Jesus. It's through sitting at a table, if you will, with Jesus and spending time with him that we receive spiritual insight and perception and discernment. Our eyes are open the more we are with Jesus, which is why we need to walk with Jesus every day so that our witness continue to, could, can continue to grow and so our worship of him can continue to grow. Otherwise, It'll get to a certain place, and that'll be it. That'll be it. Then it says he vanished out of their sight. Again, let me remind all of us, this does not mean Jesus left them. It simply meant he became invisible to them. 
Because Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you or abandon you. And the same thing is true today. Jesus is not physically here where we can see him, but he's very much here today. He's just invisible to us. And if you don't sense the presence of Jesus here today, I hope you will. Because he's here with us today. He's here. And he's with you every day. Then they said to each other, verse 32, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. What? As witnesses and as worshipers. Don't miss that. And then they said, the Lord's risen. And he's appeared to Simon. They told him what happened. And now he broke bread. And I mean, can you just say it? They're probably talking so fast like I am right now that it's almost hard to follow him because they're just so excited and they're just, their heart's beating and all of that. Guess what? That's the kind of servants Jesus is still looking for. Those that that, that phrase that that one man said resonates with us too. Didn't our hearts burn within us? You see, Jesus wants to ignite a fire within us that cannot be quenched. He's looking for people whose hearts are on fire for God. Because in those kind of people, they will desire more than anything else to walk with Jesus every day, just like these two men did. And it's out of that walk spending more and more time with Jesus every day, that our witness will grow and our worship will grow. Because you and I cannot witness accurately or worship our God appropriately apart from walking with him. That's how they got to a different place. That's how they went from being discouraged and dejected and disillusioned to full of joy and full of hope and full of faith. Because Jesus had to teach them, I need you to believe in me when you see and when you don't see. I need you to believe in my word as much as you believe in me standing before you because my word is as good as my physical presence And if I have told you these things, then you need to trust in these things. Don't be foolish. Allow what I have revealed to you and what I am revealing to you to shape your everyday thinking and behavior. How you carry yourself, how you walk out of your house every day, how you look at life, how you approach life, what your perspective is on life, what your outlook is, all of that, may it be shaped by God's revelation. Hearts that burn for God. Guess what? Jesus is here today, and Jesus wants to ignite a fire in each of us, a fire for him that cannot be quenched. Will you open up your heart to Jesus today and let him ignite that fire so that your heart burns for God like it's never burned before? Because God needs his people to be witnesses 
and worshipers in this world. Could we stand and pray? God, I... I thank you, God, that you are present in this auditorium this morning. Lord, that we can sense your personal presence here, even though you're invisible, you are very much here today. And God, you want to do the same thing in us that you did in those two men on the road to Emmaus that day from Jerusalem. You want to ignite a fire in your people that cannot be quenched. You want to set our hearts on fire for you. And God, we know that that happened because you walked with them. And God, you want to walk with us. You want to accompany us down every pathway, every road that we ever go on in life. And we may even think, Lord, that you've abandoned us and forsaken us, that you don't really understand what's going on in our lives right now, just like these men did. But God, we have come to understand that you understand more than we could ever know. You're the only one that has the total picture and the big picture. All we see is our little, little slice of what we can see. And so God, I pray today that we would allow you to set our church afire, to set our hearts on fire, and that we would rise up in your arms, love you like we've never loved you before, and allow you, God, to use us as long as we're here on this earth to be growing witnesses and growing worshipers of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.